This is Global Ambitions, your 15-minute window into the minds of localization and international go-to market experts. Discover how they respond to their biggest challenges. Here's today's host. Hi, everyone. My name's Kim Shuler. I am your host today for this episode of Global Ambitions. And this time, I'm very happy to have with me Jody Shimp. Jody is a global content strategist. And we're going to be speaking today about how content strategy supports global expansion. Hi, Jody. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Great to have you on. So if you don't mind, first of all, I'd love to know a little bit more about your background personally. So how you came to work in UX design and in particular, really content and localization strategy. So how did that come about for you? So... I think like most people in UX design and even content strategy in terms of UX design, I didn't come from a straight path. It wasn't one of those when I was in school, I thought that's exactly what I was going to do and what I was going to be, but rather a very odd path that really probably truly started as a technical writer with a large manufacturing company, Crown Equipment, I don't know, probably 15 or more years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. So when I started with with them as a technical writer, I just started seeing a lot of things that probably weren't the best experience for the end user. A lot of changes happening with digital strategies and digital transformation going on. Mm -hmm. And then that over time led me to the UX design team at Wayfair, working on all of their five customer-facing brand sites and leading content strategy for the content strategy on the UX team all the customer-facing content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I'd be interested to hear how you would define content strategy. What does that mean for you? Yeah, Yeah, that does. That's always the big question. And it's even (laughs) a question that the content strategy team and others find themselves constantly (laughs) telling within the company. That's always a big thing. So content strategy at Wayfair specifically, when we talk about that, it's more on product content and UX content on the product, informational. So things and content that guide a user to be able to complete a task or a function, whether that's a checkout process or finding information about uh, return policy, things like that. All of the different user journey workflows that work together. Not so much the branding, more the informational. Mm, So it's experience that the user gets through that information, through that content. Correct. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'd love to hear more if you can, about some of the specific challenges that you've been faced with, the companies you've worked with have been faced with, and also what effect those challenges were having on that company, on that organization. So one of the things that I found to be common, regardless whether I was working on a company that's doing more physical product and user interface design on a physical product, or like Wayfair, a digital product where the product is the website itself, the big challenge with localization really stems from the content in the first place, the source content. Mm. Uh, So when everyone's all excited about expanding to a new country or a new language, they're thinking about things like distribution and local legislation, Mm -hmm. all of those tangible things. How are we going to work with different shipping companies? How are we going to apply for all of the different certifications we need, things like that. And when they have a line item on the project plan for localization, it's actually just one line item that says translation. Um, (laughs) And that's supposed to apply to everything. So Mm -hmm. what I found is that, for example, at Wayfair, it was translate the website. 
So when I came on board and I'm supposed to be developing this localization strategy, I start asking questions of like, well, if we translate the website, how is that going to impact a, a customer that doesn't speak the language of the customer support person that they're going to be chatting with on the website or all these different things? So for each feature, there has to be a plan about how to support the language that's offered on the website. And not only support the language for the end user facing part, but the internal users also. So as they're talking to employees of that company, does the employee have the right resources to send a follow-up email in that language? Or are the templates only in English, for example? Can they direct them with a link to help about how to return a product? Or is the link that they send that's already populated into their CRM, is that link going to get them to an English version of the return policy or the wrong? country's version of the return policy. So taking that first inventory and understanding really when we say we want to translate and localize, what is the extent of that? What can we afford to do? What's the bare minimum to help the end user feel that they're truly integrated into and accepted into the product? So it's a very important topic for inclusivity as you expand. And how have you found companies to be tackling this? It sounds like you know, when you join, you start working on these projects. There's quite a lot of education you have to do with these clients. Is there an awareness, for example, that source content needs to be um, localization ready or localization friendly? As you say, the infrastructure, the other content to support it needs to be there. Is that an awareness that has been there or you've had to build that as you go along? For the companies I've had to work with, there's been varying degrees of understanding, but overall, it's definitely been an education process. So Mm -hmm. I found that there's really two main streams of activity to start with. And one is to um, start with that education process with the source content creators and the source software creators, because the content creators need to understand what things that they do that will allow easy and accurate localization of their content. And then the software engineers also need to understand what things they can do to enable localization. So not embedding, you know, the the basics, not embedding text into code, Mm -hmm. allowing for expansion. So you're talking to the product designers. Are they designing for expansion of text? Are they understanding that there could be in the future right to left languages that are necessary and build that in the very beginning. And so every time you're designing a new digital product or a new feature, you're thinking with that global first mindset. So there's a lot of education for content creators, designers, and engineers about what that global first mindset means. Even if there aren't currently plans to expand into a certain thing, it's so much easier if that's planned in advance than trying to fix it after the fact. And then the other part is really being an advocate for those LSPs back to the company about what things are painful, listening to them and treating those LSPs or internal translation groups as partners Mm -hmm. as you go, because they can help you avoid so many pain points in the future. So with each of the companies, I've started with a bit of a matrix working with Numerous departments, even the ones, you know, I've, like I said, we're on the design team, but also want to work with the engineering team, with the brand marketing team, with customer success and customer support teams so that everybody's marching to the same drum. Because the other thing that happens is each of those groups and more do create a bit of a localization strategy. And it may be very good and it may be, you know, still growing and learning. But then at the end, they all want to dump it onto the same localization team, whether that's an external LSP 
or an internal. And so where their volume might have been fine to go to that LSP or that external as a whole, there's not enough time to do that. And there wasn't enough planning ahead. So figuring out what things can be automated, you know, which types of content should receive which treatment as far as the marketing high stuff, high touch content that's going to be rewritten for local audiences versus something that's going through machine translation or machine translation with post editing, really understanding from a, a larger point of view, what that strategy is going to be across different departments. Uh, So lots of collaboration, lots of negotiating with different teams internally to -hmm. make sure that those things are all planned for as much in advance as possible. Because the other situation, which still kind of requires the same thing, is kind of going back and putting the wheels on the car as it's going down the hill (laughs) and already started and kind of redoing some of those things in reverse, which is possible, but obviously more difficult. So really, you've been involved in a lot of conversations, getting everyone a seat at the table, a lot of understanding and just really being underpinned by a true partnership working together. Yeah, sounds sounds interesting. (laughs) That's great. So while you're having these conversations with different stakeholders in the company, what have you found that you need to back up those conversations? When I'm, I'm thinking of data, metrics, What sort of measurables do you look into? And in particular, are there any takeaways you can give in particular for the listeners that would be things maybe that they wouldn't have thought about that you could look into or that you could measure to help this? Yeah. So one of the things that historically for localization teams has been a big measure is, you know, cost per word. But I found when you're talking to executives or uh, maybe the training department had things like the cost per word since no one really, nobody has a clue how many words they're creating or what that means. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean so much. So instead of talking about, oh, we can drive a lower cost per word if we're sharing resources and sharing the translation memory, really talking about customer experience and what is that customer experience going to look like and feel like. So the more KPIs we can develop on customer acceptance rates and, you know, click throughs, how many Mm. times people are successfully completing tasks in each language and comparing language per language, because it's not always about just the translation measures. Of course, there's always the other pieces. Does, does the brand resonate well in a given country or language? Does it feel too promotional? A lot of U.S. sites are very promotional where other countries aren't necessarily like that feels cheap and and chintzy. Mm. What other things need to be changed to make it feel local, but then do so in a way that's sustainable because most companies can't set up complete new operations for every country they operate in and completely duplicate what they're doing. So how do you strike that balance between the two? Yeah, thank you. So I wanted to go back um, again to the specific challenges that you faced. Are there any others that you think would be worth talking about now that, again, other people may learn from or some of the listeners may be facing in their roles now? Are there any other key challenges that you'd like to comment on that you faced and talk about the solutions that you built to aid the companies to get further with their global expansion through those? I think having the expert in the room when it comes to localization is super critical for companies. So whether that's someone that's that's in-house for my situation, you know, sometimes I represent that and I am that person, or I can think back to when I wasn't the expert at all and was just trying to learn. And so we had someone, a third party come in and be that voice and help guide 
the company and the different departments through the different aspects of localization. So a couple tangible deliverables that can come along with that are a matrix that shows which types of content for which departments get which kind of translation or localization and how over time that that can move to more automated processes. Uh, one key thing sometimes is, you know, start with the manual process, figure out what works and then automate it rather than jump straight to the automation and, and reiterate and reiterate. I know that sounds difficult for a lot because we don't, we don't want to do non-automated <laughs> processes, but really, and it doesn't have to be a long trial, but really just figure out what that figure looks like. Figure it out first. Yeah. And then automate it. And then the other piece is really to share resources and best practices and even processes between departments. And by that, I mean with that expert that you bring in, have that person help create localization playbooks so that when a group who hasn't had to localize their content or localize their features or products before, they have a guidebook that's already specific to the company that says, here are the things that we need to do. Here are the people you need to talk to. And here's just the overall steps. And it's not going to be identical from group to group, but it will serve as a guideline. And then that also helps when there's questions. So maybe date formats that need to talk between platforms change. But what really changes is what the user sees in each locale as opposed to what's behind that. So teaching people how to do that and what the standards are for the particular company, because there may be several different ways to correctly write a date in a given country, but which one is the organization going to use so that as things become more integrated, they can talk together without problem. So Jody, I wondered if you could pick from all your experience one thing, one soundbite, one bit of advice or one tip that you would love to pass on or that you'd wish you'd known? Yeah, so probably the the quick soundbite is your translations probably aren't your problem. I find time <laughs> and time again that the translations companies or the translators get the blame for poor translations. But most of the time it comes back to either source content to start with or processes where translators may not have enough context when they're sent a bunch of strings to translate for a UI or information on specific terminology that the company uses that doesn't align to what's in the you know standard dictionary. So translations probably aren't your actual problem. Okay, that's interesting take. Yeah, I mean, it goes back, I guess, to what you were saying about the the true partnership, right? And everyone needs a certain number of things from their partner in this. No, that's really interesting. Well, thanks, Jody. There's been um, lots to think about there. Really interesting. Thank you so much, Jody, for coming on. It's been great to have you. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for tuning in to Global Ambitions. Subscribe at globalambitions.net or wherever you get your podcasts.